0: Welcome to The Dividing Line. It's a little bit early today. Uh, and by the way, I am the popular internet apologist. Remember PIA? It seems like a lifetime ago. It really does. But it was only last December, if you'll recall. Um, oh, yeah. There you go. Um, you got to keep this up here. I'm still fasting, so we got to keep it away from the uh, other noises. That might. Anyway, uh, remember, last, remember before COVID? It's hard to recall. The things we were all arguing about and stuff back then. But um, back in uh, December, I was, uh, well, d- in the fall, uh, as well as in December, uh, I was responding to the uh, TR-only guys, um, the ecclesiastical text guys, and uh, uh, but they didn't want to mention me by name. So uh, remember Jeff Riddle, uh, all those guys are sort of like, gone into hiding uh they, they all blocked me on facebook and stuff and you know if they're if they're doing anything they're keeping it well hidden today which is, you know that's fine anyway uh, so uh, i was the pia the popular internet apologist and so uh my thanks uh to uh stitches by stephanie uh, you can look up stitches by stephanie uh getting Made a shirt for me, and Rich has a shirt too. He has popular internet producer, uh, is what he's got for yeah. Popular internet producer is is his shirt, but mine's popular internet apologist. So, where oh there you go. Uh, all the lights turned off. I thought, what what did he do there? Um, anyway, so thank you for uh, clothing us. It's <laughs> the way things going. We may may need the extra clothing. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> We're here early. I'll be honest with you. We're here early because of my wife's work schedule. My wife um, works for a very, 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 very large corporation that is losing billions and billions and billions of dollars, um, as everybody is, uh, during the panic-induced insanity that's going on right now. And that's really, really what it is. Uh, And it needs to end as quickly as possible. But it won't because it's 2020 and there's an election coming up. But I'm not going to get into that today. She had to take a month off without pay and now she's back to work, but she's at work at home and only 75% of the time. But she's at work at home and uh, trying to do uh, having me around doing stuff while she's on the phone and doing stuff, but it doesn't work well. So we're switching times around. And so it's best for me to be doing this earlier. That's not going to be the case all the time. But hey, we've always been flexible. In fact, it was not that long ago that we had some kind of. It was like 11 o'clock on, on Tuesday, and it was because of your schedule. Yeah. It, because it, it was because kids, that's right. That was your. Man, that was what? It was that, long ago. that was a long time ago. But for some reason, one day of the week, it was a different time uh, the other day of the week. Am I, am I remembering that correctly?
1: It was. It had to do, just a little behind-the-scenes thing here, it had to do with what time I had to pick the kids up from school. Right. Yeah, I know. And so... um, But why would it be different Tuesday, Thursday? I don't remember. uh, At the time, Matt was in kindergarten. Oh. And I was, if you'll recall, I mean, you, you said not that long ago. It was long ago. It was. Summer. Got out in the afternoons, and they were both going to the same school at the time. Oh, wow, okay. And so, yeah, it's, um, you know, we've... This yeah, is so we've, we've always just... Working throwing... with a shoestring. I mean, it's just what we're... Yeah, you gotta what do what you gotta been been do.
0: About. You know, so my dear wife is sitting there at the kitchen's table, and we set up an extra monitor, and she's she's doing her thing, and... um uh, you know, she's been with this company almost a quarter century. Uh, we, were, we were hoping for retirement, but I don't know that almost anyone's going to be retiring uh, now uh, for quite some time. Um, I mean, when, when oil goes negative, things are weird. Um, I still paid $2.19 for a gallon of gas today, but... You know why? Yeah, because they're they're because what you're pumping out of the ground now was put in at a
1: different well, price. Well, that, rate. and we have all these uh, what do they call it uh, blends? These uh, oh yeah yeah boutique blends. Yeah. Blends and, it's and, like and, coffee. Yeah, <laughs> and so all all of our boutique blends are still on the ground, and we're <laughs> we're pumping those. But yeah, it's um, it's starting. We said it would happen. We said just a few weeks ago this would happen. But, oh, no! Oh, no, no, no. You guys are the naysayers. You're terrible, and you don't understand, and and we all need to go into our homes and hide out. Yeah, I'm
0: not going there today, but, yeah, I know. But the thing is,
1: one one more thing.
0: Uh, You're doing
1: this, not me. I know, I know, but the... There were times we couldn't say anything. Oh, I know, because the reaction was so visceral. Oh, it's still it's and it's it's still still that way for many people. But society is starting to see the hand. Oh yeah, oh yeah. A lot of people are waking up and going, "Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. What have we done?
0: Hey, let's just be honest. Um, There ain't nobody in Washington that's uh, you can't point a finger at right now. Oh no, that's that's a stone cold fact. Uh, That's we're we're going to have to be. we we didn't have anybody to well I, there may have been a few voices back yeah. then but anyhow anyhow all right. all right so anyway um that being uh said that's why our time frame is a little bit different and you're just going to have to follow on twitter and facebook if you like watching live uh, as to when we're going to be able to do the program, and uh, we'll just we'll just keep doing the best we can. I know I'm not doing a program tomorrow, so we're gonna. Last week we did five in a row. That was that was more than most people could handle. <laughs> for us with you, I think I think people need a break once in a while. So uh, no program on Wednesday, but um, my plan is to do uh, Thursday and Friday. So we'll we'll see how all that works out. So uh, with that, I would like to. Um, Talk about a uh, subject we don't always discuss, um, but hopefully it'll be helpful to you. I came up with this idea on a uh, run this morning while I was listening to some of the stuff I listened to. Um, No, it was not the—I did do—I was doing more stuff on Gnosticism. I'll be dragging out um, uh, the—I've discovered my library is actually— especially in this area, really good. It is something I have sort of kept up with over the years, but um, I, I pointed out to you last time, the, the Coptic Gnostic Library, it's a five-volume set that I had from Brill, but there's a easier-to-read uh, translation, the International Edition of the Nag Hammadi Scriptures, edited by Marvin Meyer. I'm hopefully going to have time here, I will, I will have time, to be reading some stuff. And then I'm i'm struggling um in looking up references because i'm discovering that some of my resources might be a little bit older and are not as um standardized in as far as the dead sea scroll stuff goes so i'm working on that trying to find a maybe some online resources will help me to get things to work right but Anyhow, we are continuing doing our uh, in-depth studies. I'm enjoying it. I hope that you all will enjoy the fruits of it when we get around to dealing with all these things. Uh, I'll just tell you right now, before I get into the main subject, I'll tell you right now. Here's, here's, here's the plan, for those of you that are interested. Man, this is... Remember Levenger and all the cool Levenger stuff? Yeah, that's... They are they were I'm not sure if they still are after what's happened. there's gonna be a lot of companies that are not going to be around um, How do you respond to an almost a three hundred and eighty page dissertation in a meaningful fashion that's understandable to people and will benefit people well you you figure out what the real focus is. And remember we've we've mentioned what the what the fundamental assertion being made is and that is reformed theology is nothing but manichaeism the the concept of god's sovereign decree which forms the very fabric of time that um, this is actually based upon stoicism Gnosticism, and Manichaeism. And so, if you want to be a Manichaean Christian, then you can believe in these things, and if not, you need to be a good traditionalist, provisionist, whatever terms they want to use. Uh, you need to be a good synergist uh, to where you don't uh, you don't believe that terrible, horrible uh, stuff that um, we all believe, only because Augustine tells us to believe it. None of us have ever read a word of the Bible. We don't ever do exegesis. We've never studied hebrew or greek or any of those things we we don't we don't do philosophy there was never a van Til. there was none of that stuff it's we just whatever augustine tells us we believe so how do you how do you deal with something like that in a way that's going to help others well obviously what you think through is what would be necessary what would be the necessary documentation argumentation in this dissertation to substantiate the conclusion that is being presented by Dr. Wilson himself. As I've said, I don't think that's what his readers were thinking. I think that when it comes to this, all they were looking at is, did he deal with Augustine and establish a thesis regarding the possible editing of a couple of works of Augustine later on in his life that aren't mentioned in his retractions, retractionis. Um, and I think that's all they were looking at. That's why so much of this stuff just went right on by and no one even bothered to look at it. Um, but the real issue would then be: is there, does the dissertation give you a meaningful definition of Manichaean interpretation of the Bible? of scriptures? Is there a discussion of their hermeneutic? Is there a discussion of the application of their worldview to linguistic theory? Uh, how, how, If you're going to say that Augustine was using Manichaean interpretation, then there should be an extensive discussion, examples of Manichaean interpretation, uh, hermeneutical methodology, uh, and then the demonstration of the consistency of that to Augustine. Uh, if you could say that the Gnostics believed in duped, uh divine, unilateral predestination of individual uh, destinies, um, eternal destinies, sorry, I keep forgetting eternal, um, then there is going to need to be, and, and if, if you're going to talk about Stoic, Gnostic, and Manichaean in a line, then what, there's going to need to be extensive discussion of what Stoics believed, um, their, a consistent understanding of their determinism, what nature it had, was it naturalistic determinism, was it uh, providential, uh, is, is the deity of Stoicism sufficient to have within itself the capacity of, of accomplishing a decree, a, a deterministic decree? Uh, you have to do the same thing with Gnosticism, and of course, once you get into Gnosticism, you have to start talking about the different kinds of Gnosticism. You have to talk about about the the Gnostic myths, the, the, the Barbelo, and and uh and and all the eons and Sophia and um, all that stuff. Um, and then you have to get into Valentinian Gnosticism, which becomes a much more Christianized version. Uh, of of Gnosticism, um, all the different versions of these things, which have all sorts of different understandings of free will and all that kind of stuff. That's going to be an extensive section of the dissertation, I'm sure. It's six pages. Um, And then you have to get into Manichaeism um, and the various forms of Manichaeism, the developed Manichaeism, and the other influences that came into Manichaeism, other than Gnosticism, such as Iranian religion and, and Judaism and Christianity and and Zoroastrianism and Buddhism talk about the biggest mishmash of, of stuff you've ever, ever wanted to put put in one place. And you, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to demonstrate the consistency of dupied across those three massively different periods. Um, and then, having established that, demonstrate that Augustine uh, is simply utilizing that kind of interpretation, demonstrate the consistency of hermeneutics into Augustine, and then fly from the 5th century to the 16th century. Uh, you can skip over Gott's Chalk if you want, but all the way across, and so that the interpretation that Calvin then adopts is just simply straight from Augustine. Now, I know the code he's going to use, we're going to look at it, demonstrate exactly what calvin meant and 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 everything else um but zoom all the way up to to calvin and so calvin can is not going to be influenced by any medieval stuff he's never read the sentences none of that type of stuff from the medieval period um he's not going to uh have any other influences his interpretation of augustine he's just simply going to take whatever augustine says um Lock, stock, and barrel, no critical analysis, no development, uh, and that's just going to be directly from the Manichaeans, the Gnostics, and the Stoics, and that's how you substantiate the argument, right? Well, you can tell that would take about 14 volumes to actually do something, not 388 pages, not in, and that's including all the you know, notes and references and bibliography and stuff like that. It's, you know probably much more like 300 pages of writing with lots and lots and lots of quotes, so it's probably only 150 pages of actual writing, uh, production of, of, of material. Um, to say that the, the dissertation doesn't even try to do any of that is really to understate everything, um, but that's what, that's what we'll be focusing on. That's what I'm focusing on right now, is there is, right at the beginning, a discussion of Stoicism, Gnosticism, Manichaeism, the Qumran community, and a couple other things. Um, Cicero ends up in there, or Cicero, depending on how you do your Latin. Um, it's very short, and it does not even try to do what is necessary to establish the application that is being made by Dr. Wilson and by the Doesn't It does not even try. Well, we, we're documenting that we've already put a couple little articles together as we're looking up references and going oh i uh, see where you got that oh didn't mention that part uh you know that type of stuff um but uh so in the process i mean i'll, I'll admit spending time on stoicism has some level of interest uh as people as the audience are going to be people that are interested in apologetics let's be honest this gives us an opportunity of really filling in some gaps that need to be filled in in our historical reading to be better apologists for every for, just for Christianity is its historicity and everything else because we're talking dead sea scrolls we're talking familiarizing ourselves with the various um understandings of where the dead sea scrolls are coming from but they contain um and then, of course, Gnosticism, wow, Gnosticism gets thrown around by everybody today, and yet there are so many flavors of Gnosticism um, and as I was saying in the last program, it's much more evil than than you're normally allowed to think of as a historian it, it, it's when you when you're studying it simply from a historical perspective, the tendency in Western scholarship is to try to avoid terms like evil because you, you and, and it is a struggle. You, you need to fairly read anybody. But once you, when you fairly read the Gnostics and the Valentinians, they are evil. <laughs> they are purposefully, specifically seeking to um, imitate elements of the Christian faith while denying its fundamental heart. Uh, that's evil. Um, but knowing Gnosticism will not only help you historically and to, to make proper applications today, because there are people pushing Gnostic stuff today. There are Gnostic categories in people singing today. But also to avoid it to recognize when someone's just throwing it out and they're not using it properly at all because they don't really understand where the Gnostics were coming from. Um, so that's really good. And then manichaeism, same, same issues. You end up knowing much more about historical groups. Um, all of this will make us better apologists as a group. Um, those of you who are willing to put out the effort. And um, so I'm I'm excited about it. I'm I'm learning, I'm seeing connections that I had not seen before, that's really, really good, you know, to get, especially when you're talking about Gnosticism, the technical vocabulary, depending on which group you're looking at, each one has its own technical vocabulary, but but especially just the, the general Gnostic myth itself. How many people, uh, Yaldabaoth, Yaldabaoth, the, the God who created the physical universe, well not created, but the source of the physical the misshapen misformed offspring of sophia wisdom the lowest of the eons um the Barbelo, um and then even figuring out whether they're male or female or a mixture of both uh there is so you want (laughs) you want gender confusion Try Gnosticism. San Francisco's got nothing on the Gnostics. Let me tell you, nothing on the Gnostics. Weirdness. Now, these are terms that I had seen, you know, like when we were dealing with the Gospel of Peter that that showed up in the Talpiot tomb stuff. Remember all that? Um, But now we get to really get into it and hopefully get a good handle on it. And, um, hey, I'm willing to do the work if you're willing to do the, the listening and the learning. So that's what we're doing uh and so if if google if the if google's satellites are following me around seeing that slow moving scottish guy listening to stuff on his phone on his headsets while he's slowly painfully running around uh phoenix arizona um that's what he's doing is he's uh that, that's that's how I get my, my study in, and uh, so I'll be doing more of that, uh, in fact, uh, this afternoon, uh, getting a ride in, inside ride in uh, this afternoon, and trying to get through some more information on that, putting all of it together for you folks. Uh, I will have a little more. I, later in the program, I want to read to you from the secret um, revelation to John. Uh, it's called different the thepocryphon of John. That's the other thing, is it's half the half the books that you find in Nag Hammadi or in sometimes in parts in Oxyrhynchus, um, um, they go with different names. And so you're 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 going, what's that? Oh, that's that. Oh, that's that over there. Okay. And then you have different translations. It's it's challenging, but it's um it's good stuff. So anyway, uh, but before we get uh, before I read any of that stuff, um, so just letting you know where we're where we're going in the study, focusing upon the necessary argumentation and documentation that would have to appear in Ken Wilson's dissertation to establish the assertion now being made that we Calvinists are actually Manicheans and we're just too stupid to have figured that out. Um, yeah, that argumentation. Um, is not present in the dissertation, but we'll we 'll be getting to that okay um, changing gears um, There are many reformed people who I think struggle um, to discuss and to visualize in their own in their own mind, their own thinking. The subject of prayer in light of time and eternity. Time and eternity. We are creatures who, because we have access to divine revelation, we of necessity must deal with two different realms. So, because because we have this, and because this at times, not at all times, certainly not even the majority of the time, but because this word, this scripture, does at times draw back the veil of eternity, speaks of eternal realities, and, of course, introduces us to the God who created all things and is not himself subject to temporal limitation, then, of necessity, we have to balance these things with the recognition that we are creatures. And right now, as I'm communicating with you in a way that... (laughs) 30 years ago could not have been imagined, Um, but so wonderful to be able to do so live with people literally around the world for now. Be thankful for it. When it's taken away, we're going to miss it. But for now, we can do it, and so while we're doing it, we're going to speak the truth and hope that that truth continues to bear fruit even long after we can't do this anymore. Um, But I am using human language. Now, look at that last sentence. I am using human language. I used forms of the language. I used an existence verb. I am, and then with a gerund, a participial participle form, using, I am using human language. That has a tense concept to it. I was talking about right now. I didn't say I was using or I will be using. By changing those words, I would be changing the tense formation of the sentence and what I'm trying to communicate. So, we are time-bound creatures and our language cannot exist without temporality, without present without past, without future, without conditionality. I might be doing another subject later in the program, conditionality. And all of this has means that we think temporally. Um, I know that as a, as a kid, one of the things that, fascinated me was when I would try to force myself to think of eternity. And you couldn't do it, but it got you into this strange state of mind. And it was just, even as a young person, I recognized the limitations that are ours as human beings. And so when divine revelation forces us to consider eternal realities, our tendency is to flatten those eternal realities out and, and just make them a longer category of timelessness or eternity. Rather than letting them be eternal, we, because of the way we think, because of the way this stuff in here, this amazing stuff in here is made and designed, clearly designed, um, that is the tendency that we have. And so we've talked in the past when we talk about the Doctrine of the Trinity, for example, we have talked about how we have to be very, very careful that we do not import creaturely categories into our discussion of the attributes of God and the relationship of the divine persons, a very word person. The tendency is for us to limit that term to creaturely categories, and we, we force that upon God, and we, we've talked about all of that before, and it's just as true, if not more true, when we talk about this aspect of time and eternity. So, we as Christians, of necessity, are a people that must affirm the reality of eternity, not just as a long, 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 long period of time. But we likewise are forced to deal with two different aspects of experience that stretch us, that can be dangerous for us, um, and that make it difficult for us to use human language to really communicate certain aspects of what we have in divine revelation as a part of our faith this comes into our experience in a number of different ways but certainly when it when we come to the issue of prayer one of the primary arguments that is used against those of us who we believe are simply accepting everything scripture says about god's nature not limiting him but who believe in Ephesians 1.11, that God works all things after the counsel of his will. Uh, We believe that you intended it for evil, God intended it for good. We believe that God brought Assyria against the Israelites as punishment in accordance with his truth and then punished the Assyrians for the attitudes of their hearts in having done so. Um we live with that necessary revelational tension that exists between the eternal and the temporal realm. And that our God dwells in eternity, is the source and creator thereof. And so when commun—when you communicate, when you pray, how are we to understand this activity? Well, first of all, we know we are commanded to pray. This is, you know, we're commanded to love, we're commanded to pray. And some people would say, well, you can't, you can't command either of those two things. Well, God does. <laughs> he does, and he doesn't, doesn't uh, apologize for, for so doing. Um, when we pray, we are praying as time-bound creatures, We cannot pray based upon knowledge of future events, which we do not possess. We cannot pray based upon an exhaustive knowledge of past events, which we do not possess. And so we are creatures, yes, formed in the image of God, made a little lower than the angels, and yet we are time-bound, briefly existing, and pathetically ignorant We are pathetically ignorant of what has happened in the past. We are pathetically ignorant of what's taking place in the present. And we are massively ignorant of what's going to take place in the future. As evidenced by the fact that we were wishing each other Happy New Year! Yay, 2020! And I was like, oh, wow. I had no idea it was coming. So, uh, we don't know the future and we don't know much more about the past. So when we pray, what are we doing? How does, and I'm speaking here as a Reformed person, I'm not speaking uh, first and foremost as a uh, one trying to broaden this out. I'm I'm talking to my fellow Reformed believers right now. If you're not a Reformed believer, we don't have the same common foundation upon which to discuss the matter of prayer, sadly. That doesn't mean I don't believe you're praying. Doesn't mean I don't believe you're a Christian. Uh, But it Obviously, in this instance, I can only address those who share with me the presuppositions of biblical theology regarding the nature of God and his relationship to his creation. So when we pray, the objection is you're not doing anything or you've been eternally praying. Well, no, we've not been eternally praying. Uh, We can leave that one off to the side immediately. But... Has God had perfect knowledge of every prayer I will ever utter? Well, that's like asking, does God know what I'm going to say? And the answer, of course, is yes. And so that raises the entire issue of the meaningfulness of the words that I speak. Are my words meaningful if they have been known to God from eternity? And the only way that you would go no to that is if you define meaningfulness in a completely creaturely category that means the only thing that's meaningful is that which arises apart from any divine decree autonomously from my human existence. And that's, what, that's how most people function. That's how most people function because we live in a limited finite world then we assign value and meaning based upon our particular experiences I had a really good example of this i've really thought about doing this and i think i'm going to do this it just hey i i know what i can do here all right calling my fellow trekkies yes would someone get a hold of me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, would someone get a hold of me? This is what I need from someone because I'm putting a lot of time into this other stuff. I mean, we're talking hours and hours and hours. There's, there's been a bunch of stuff, I little projects I wanted to do that I've just been put off. So this is something somebody else could do It'd be really easy for me. That would, would help me out. I've wanted to have a discussion, a worldview discussion, about something that happened in the final episode of the currently running series Star Trek Picard. Why? Because it's about what we're talking about right now. There were only I didn't not, not big on on the series, I'll be honest. Um, I didn't think it was all that well done. There were two episodes that were worthwhile. Um mainly because you got to see folks from from back in the nineties. Um, but in the final, final episode. Um, by the way, warning, warning, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you have plans to watch Picard, um you're gonna have to mute me or something. I'll wave at you. Okay, when I'm done, I'll wave at you all right but i have to i have to contextualize this cuz it is fascinating it is the same subject we're talking about in the final episode there is a conversation that takes place between picard and data and it takes place within the context of the fact that they're both dead picard has died And Data died in one of the movies in 2379, as my average I recall. Please don't hold me accountable for having known that, but he mentions it, and that's why I remembered it. And they're having a conversation in a quantum um, simulation before Picard is then... Well, I told you, this is a spoiler. Before Picard's consciousness, his mapping of his brain, and this has a bunch of stuff to do with materialism, and all the rest of this stuff, is placed into a synthetic body. Picard in the future is a synth. His body died at 94 years of age, but he's going to continue on. But he still looks like he's 94 years of age. Anyway, that's a whole other area of the materialistic Star Trek universe. Um, one of the things that is said by Data... Is that he requests, since Picard's going back, he requests that Picard disconnect his consciousness, which has been maintained in this way for quite some period of time. I'm not sure how time passes in a quantum simulation, but he can listen to music in a quantum simulation, so there has to be some type of temporality. We can't even discuss these things without using categories of time. Anyway. In the conversation where Picard says, you want to die? Data's response is not really die, but actually live. And here's where, it, here's, here's the issue. He says, I want to live, if even for a brief moment, recognizing my own mortality because it's that mortality that makes human life worthwhile. Now remember, if those of you who don't know, Data was the whole the whole thing throughout Star Trek Next Generation was Data wanted to be more human. So he tried to learn to tell jokes and oh man, was that bad. Um but it was funny. But it was funny because it wasn't funny. If if you know what I mean. And um so he says it is the recognition, He says friendship, love, sacrifice all have meaning because we know they cannot endure because we're mortal. And then he opens his hand, and one of the things they had done in this uh, synth world is they had developed butterflies. They're synthetic butterflies. They're beautiful. But we all know butterflies don't last very long. In fact, butterflies have very, very short lifespans. But these butterflies don't. And so Data lets lets this butterfly go and it's flying up toward the camera when Data makes the statement that we know that a butterfly that lives forever is not a real butterfly. And because of this, Picard says, I will do as you have asked, says goodbye, Commander, and says goodbye, Captain. And so, anyway. um, So here's the point. The worldview behind this is that if you live eternally, the value of temporal things is destroyed. If you live eternally, friendship in the now, love in the now, Relationship in the now has no meaning. Now, when I first saw that, and it was a very emotional scene, um, you know, the first thought across my mind was, "Wow, um, that's that's something that needs to be discussed and thought through," because that interfaces this because the Christian worldview affirms the meaning and reality and worth of both realms. We affirm that God makes man in his image. And in and through his work gives eternal life to man. But does that make what takes place in time meaningless? From the Star Trek perspective, it would. What we as believers need to think through, because it's biblically discussed, is that the recognition of the sovereignty of God's will and the accomplishment of his decree is actually at the foundation of and gives rise to the meaningfulness of temporal actions actions within time rather than having this is one this is one of the fundamental differences between Manichaeism, Gnosticism, Stoicism, whatever, they're all different from one another. But all of those systems did not have the idea of the God who has revealed himself in Scripture. That's why the Gnostics mocked Yahweh, the God of Genesis, um, called him Yaldabaoth and said he was ignorant and arrogant and, and all the rest of this stuff. Um, they mocked God because God was different. I am turning the temperature back up. You are freezing me out in here. Um, sorry. Uh, I could tell someone was messing with something. Uh, and so thankfully I can adjust things with my phone. So, uh... My toes are are turning blue and uh, um, I won't mention who did that. I had set everything just right before we got started, but I'm not going to say anything more about it from there. What were we talking about? They were mocking Yahweh because their idea of God is of an unknowable, pure mind. Not a God... And by the way, a pure mind who has no connection to materiality. Could, the God of Gnosticism could not create good matter. Um, in the emanation, for example, in the emanation of all the eons, which are just basically erotic thought processes in the one God, the one mind. Not really I hate to use the term God because it's not really God. It's 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 a mind. It's an essence of something. Um, it's all done in silence. It's all done in silence. Very important that it's silent. Because silence is a part of creation. See? So the idea of God speaking, the eternality of God's word, this is all unknown to these, these other concepts. They're, they're just, and they consider what the scripture says to be beneath them at that point, they don't have a God who can form the fabric of time, even their mind purity, light, whatever you want to call it does seem to be subject to time so the idea of one who has created all things including time just it's just not there, so they don't have any mechanism for thinking about the importance of what takes place in time in light of the eternal purposes of God, eternity itself. Obviously, one um, of the most important texts of Scripture on this subject, I think is wonderful because it's the early church praying. And they are being threatened by Caesar? Well, it's not yet Caesar, but the people who are threatening them can back things up with Caesar if they need to. So right now, it's just the Jews. It will eventually be Caesar. It's opposition from the world. Let's, let's at least put it that way. The apostles have been released. You know where we are, are in Acts chapter 4. Um, and so when they had been released, they went under their own and reported to them the things that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, um, and when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God and said, "Despota, despota, sovereign Lord, despota." Didn't say Koreas. They said despota, which always has in it the idea of reigning rulership, active control, active control. And then what I love is they prayed from the scriptures. They prayed from the scriptures. It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. they start with the reality of God as creator. So, you have quotation from Psalm 146, Exodus 20, all put together. This is part of what the people understood. They knew their scriptures very, very, very well. You are the maker of the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. So, these people who think they have authority over us, we recognize you have authority over them. There is no one who has authority over you. And... You spoke by our Father, by the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of David, your servant. That's it. There is a sermons worth of information about how the early church viewed Scripture in that just in in what what you have right there. Um. Because it's actually, now that I'm, I wasn't going to be translating it, but that's interesting. Um, The one, you have the article, and then you have its participle down at the end, and everything is sandwiched in between it. So it's meant to be one big, long description. The, our Father, by the Holy Spirit, mouth of David, your servant said. <laughs> so that's, that's how, it, that's how it, it goes. There's a bunch of high, high theology about Scripture there that we don't have time to unpack today, but don't skip it, because that means the early church had just as high a view of Scripture as we have today. Well, we have. I'm speaking of a minority of us that have that high view of Scripture. I, I can guarantee you there ain't nobody at Union Theological Seminary that has the view of Scripture that is enunciated in Acts 4.25. But then you have the quotation, why did the nations rage and the peoples devise feudal things? Uh, so, interesting enough, they're identifying their own leaders, the Jewish leaders, as taking the place of the ethne. That's a, that's a bit of a shot, <laughs> when you think about it. That's a bit of a point, poke, poke in the eye. Uh, why did the Gentiles rage people's devised futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. This is the highest levels of authority amongst men. And the... Rulers, the archon That's interesting because archon becomes a really important word over there in the Gnostic stuff. They pull that. But this is coming from a Jewish context. Um, The rulers were gathered together um, against the Lord and against his Messiah. So they're, they're seeing fulfillment from the Old Testament Scriptures, and what is necessary for fulfillment to exist in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. God has to know the future. Not just passively. We're not not simply saying that God's a really good historian who looks back and he's a really good historian who looks forward. As if what he's studying is external to himself and he just learned it really well. The reason that the church can quote from these scriptures is because they've got a God who is big enough to be eternal and yet have the actions in time flow from his decree and still be real, important, vitally important. That's the basis for it. You don't have these guys over here the Gnostics and the Manichaeans, all these guys where your eternal destiny doesn't flow from the wise plan of God. It's which group you were born in. Are you a Sethite? Are you a descendant of Seth? Are you a, a Numa type person or a Suke type person? You're born that way. It's just the way it is. That's the kind of determinism they're talking about is it is determined that I will never play in the national basketball association. Okay. Uh, That's been determined genetically. It's a materialistic thing. It has nothing to do with the fulfillment of the good will of God in time itself in the lives of free creatures. There's nothing, there's nothing, nothing in Manichaeism and Gnosticism that even comes close to what we're talking about. It's a sad, sad little misrepresentation. Um, So, Against the Lord, against this Christ. Against this Christ. So, quoting from the scriptures, for truly, in this city, then notice something. There were, I'm looking at Acts 4.27, if you're looking at your Bible. There were gathered together. Who gathered them together? Did this just happen to happen? No. Oh, I forgot to wave. I'm sorry. (laughs) I knew I'd do that. I knew I would do, I told people I would wave at the camera when I got done with the spoiler stuff. Oh, yeah. And I pfft, <laughs> nyep, Sorry. You missed a lot there if you just now t- Sorry. <laughs> hey, look, that aired months ago. So come on. Uh, you know, you can stop that now, Rich. Thank you very much. All right. It's very distracting. Okay. They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, using the, the, um, the, the term Christ, Echrisus, you anointed with, with oil. Herod uh, and Pontius Pilate, together with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So here you have all of these groups brought together. They all have different motivations. They all have different sins. They all have pride of some kind. But they have different motivations, different backgrounds. But they were brought together in this city, the holy city, against your holy servant, Jesus. What brought them together? Verse 28. Poyesai Hasa kair Su Kai boule su pra genestai. I mean, I you could not express a more complete statement of God's sovereign decree in time in Greek than what you have in Acts 428. You really couldn't. I challenge you to do it. I challenge you to do it. Here you have all these different people. Crazy Herod. Political Pontius Pilate. The Romans who just kill things because they kill things. The people of Israel. Possessors of God's scriptures. The physical offspring of Abraham and yet consumed in their hatred of the Messiah because he exposed their sin exposed their hypocrisy massive differences all brought together to do whatever your hand and your will purpose predestined Genesai to take place that's in time. God's will, God's boule, his hand, that's the hand, the hand of God in the Old Testament, does what? Creates, stretches forth, helps. It's, 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 a, it's a description of how the eternal God acts in his own creation. Your hand and your purpose, your boule, Predestined, proartisan, so that's in eternity. genestai, that's in time to happen. The early church believed in compatibilism. I saw a reference just yesterday to a um, Armenian who had written uh, an article why no classical theist and certainly no Christian should ever believe in compatibilism. <laughs> the early church did, that's why I do, because Scripture does. What they did, they did because God's hand brought it about. How many times, look up hand in the Old Testament. Maybe we'll have to do a study of hands sometime. Look up hand in the Old Testament. It is God's active providence. You brought them out of Egypt by your what? Your strong hand, your strong arm. You think God was active in bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt? Is this really a question? Your hand and your boule. Your purpose. He has a purpose. He is accomplishing his purpose. And his hand and his purpose predestined something to take place, and it did. Think of all of the free will choices that brought about someone like Herod. That brought about someone like Pontius Pilate. That put them in that place at that time. Don't tell me the fabric of time itself does not come from the hand of the all-wise God. Well, it was just that one thing. It can't just be that one thing. It wasn't just the one thing of Joseph, was it? It wasn't just the one thing of the Assyrians and Israel, was it? Here you have time and eternity. And it's in a prayer. Now, you have to ask yourself the question all right, if, if they recognize these things, if they recognize the boulé, the purpose of God, then why are they praying? Right? That's the whole point here, isn't it? Why are they praying? Notice what he says. And now, Lord, now it's kurias instead of despota. I think that's purposeful. And now, Lord... Take note of their threats. Did he not know their threats? Of course they know they he know they they knew. God knows their threats. It's part of his purpose too. So on the one hand, they start, we know this high order truth. God is sovereign. But we live in time. And so we now come to you, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, we can look up there and we can see the reality of the eternal truths but I can't see past the next second. And so I know the one who has woven the very fabric of time. I know what he has revealed his will is. His prescriptive will he has revealed with clarity. I am to live in such a way as to honor him, give thanks to him and glorify him. And so Lord My desire is to be able to fulfill your prescriptive will. And so protect your people. Allow us to proclaim your gospel. Protect us from evil rulers. That's a prayer I'm praying all the time. All the time. But might God give us evil rulers? I don't know what the future holds, and I don't know what his purpose is. I do know one thing. His purpose is always good. His purpose is always holy. His purpose is always just. His revealed will is that I am to seek to glorify him in whatever condition I find myself in. And I express to him my desire. I want to be able to openly and freely proclaim the gospel. So protect us from evil leaders from those who are right now seeking to silence the proclamation of the gospel. But if he gives evil rulers I am to in that situation continue to be obedient to him knowing that in whatever situation I'm in he is conforming me to the image of Christ. You say the one but but why then pray? If what you're saying is protect us from evil rulers, but if he may still give evil rulers, then why bother? You've got the wrong idea of what prayer is. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. God's already as good as he can possibly be. I am not. I need to be changed. God doesn't need to be changed. You need to understand, every t- when, when when Jesus says, if you ask according to the will of God, it'll be granted to you, the whole point is, you're the one that needs to be in line with the will of God. You're not getting God's will in line with your will. That's why the whole word faith, whack-a-doodle stuff is a bunch of upside-down, stupid heresy. When you are in line with the will of God, when you are in complete subjection to God's will, then whatever you pray will take place because you are in subjection to God's will. And what's going to take place? God's will his decreed will. You can't know that, but you can be in line with his prescriptive will, which is revealed to us in Scripture. Now, let me make another application here. I think it's important. very very important aspect i've talked about this one of the major problems that we are facing today in our culture and i'm speaking of i'm speaking primarily as an american here the united states but western culture as a whole our legal system was deeply influenced by the thinking of men who believed that there would be someday a day of judgment. That the judge of all the earth would do right? The whole whole idea of putting your hand on a Bible. Why would you do that? Well, you're swearing by something that's greater than you, and there's a God who will judge you if you lie in this context. So, our legal system is deeply, the very crevices of it are formed by the recognition of that future day of judgment when justice will be done. Now, why is that important? Because most of our people don't believe that anymore. They do not live in the light of a future reality of justice being accomplished. They don't believe there's a creator. They don't believe they have transcendent meaning. They're just a cosmic accident. That's why so many of them are panicked right now, because this life is all they've got. There isn't anything more. There, there cannot be things like liberty or justice or freedom. Those, What do those mean... To evolved hominids who can die like that, and that's it there's nothing more there's nothing beyond that you just you're just gone. Everything that you collected goes to somebody else right so why why worry about it? what we're seeing one of the things that has fundamentally changed and hence is having horrific results within our culture is that since there is no cosmic justice, there is no day of judgment coming, then we have to have justice now. We're made in the image of God. We recognize the need for justice. That's why you still take 98-year-old Nazi prison camp guards and chuck them in the who because we want justice. It's the way we're made. But for many people, since justice can now only happen in time, the necessary vitally important distinction between cosmic justice and temporal justice has been lost. That's why people will look at what this says about the necessity of two or three witnesses and they go, oh, that's stupid. That, all the injustice that has been done because people believed what this said. Now you are able to hang somebody on the word of one person 30 years after the event and you can destroy them. God's word said, no, you can't. Why? Because God's word protects in time the innocent. The cost of that is that sometimes the guilty get away with crime. But only in this life. There was Always the day coming. There was always the judgment. You get rid of that. Now you have to get all the bad people now. And what is the. We saw this with the Kavanaugh thing. What did you hear people say? Who cares if some innocent people get caught up? We've got to get all these people. Wow. That is horrific. It is much more important, much more important. True justice protects the innocent and maintains the highest standards of judgment in accusation. In fact, God's law even said that if you falsely accuse someone, what you tried to get them in trouble for should come back upon you. And we go, no, we can't, because there is no longer a final judgment. It's not there anymore. So that's why we've lost any meaningful sense of justice. That's why we we've, we've, um, are embracing this insanity of one person 30 years down the road can accuse you of something, and that's it. You're done. We're all just going to believe it. Two or three witnesses? No way. May I suggest that Christians should be in the forefront of condemning what's coming? What's coming? What's coming is a technocracy. What's coming is you no longer have witnesses. You just simply have the all-seeing eye of the net. I just cannot believe it will, will always be called Google. <laughs> That's just not appropriate. Skynet was so much better than Google. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, Skynet, call it what you, what you will. But can you see the day when judgment will be done on the basis of AI? Right? Don't have to have witnesses. And hence, there can never be cross-examination and can be no refutation. Can't be done. We don't possess the ability to do it. But as long as the AI says you did it, you did it. We should be the first ones to say, no, 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 no. We should be the first ones saying, look, there are neat things in this world that can, we, that can benefit us. But when you start sticking them inside our body, no. Stop. Stop. That's what's coming. Genetic manipulation. Implants. We say, no. God made us this way. We're going to stay this way. Thank you very much. Stuff on the outside? Great. This is my Oura ring. O-U-R-A. It is a really cool thing for someone who's had cardiac ablation like I have. Uh, It's a heart rate monitor, sleep monitor, um, Bluetooth to my phone. I love it. It's great. I mean, you know, this morning, I, I got up, and I looked at it, and I got to get rid of the air conditioning thing here, and it encouraged me. You know why it encouraged me? Because last night, uh, my resting heart rate was 43 beats per minute, and my heart rate variability, 100 microseconds. The higher the number, the better you're recovering. That means I can beat myself to a frazzle, on a 90-minute to hour and 45-minute ride today, I can push my heart rate as hard as I want to today. I'm recovered. Now, that's, that's a good thing to know. But I didn't stick something inside myself to do that that then can be used to, in some way, change my way of thinking, uh, that type of thing. We've got, to draw, we've got to draw a line because this stuff is coming, and it's coming fast. And we have to stand up and say, No. And there's gonna be a lot of people saying, oh yes, you need to. I am not, I am not just sitting around reading 1984 all day. Let, let me give you an example right now. How possible is it that by January of 2021, less than a year away, for me to fly to many places in the world, I will have to prove my immunity to COVID-19 by either taking a vaccine or having taken a test that proves I have the antibodies. What do you think? Is that really that far-fetched an idea? Of course it's not. Of course it's not. In fact, during this whole program, uh, I asked a friend who has other friends, I won't go into detail, knows about the vaccines that are being developed and the genetic stuff because one of the big issues right now everybody's talking about is um what about this vaccine was it made from aborted babies does it come from stem cell lines from aborted children and since I have know someone who's in the field front line who knows someone who is in the field front line, very close. I asked, and I haven't been able to read all of this, but I, I'll give you. A, in summary, these responses indicate these vaccines being tested are not being developed from fetal cell lines obtained through abortions. Um, but that's what that's the lines this person knows of. Might there be others elsewhere in the world? Of course. That I don't know about. But well, there's nothing to stop, especially in places like China. They Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're gonna do whatever they're gonna do. Um no question about it. But could we be in a situation where we are going to have to ask, if I'm going to take a vaccine, it needs to be a vaccine that was not that innocent human beings weren't murdered to produce. And of course they might say, Well, we're not it doesn't matter. And then there are literally countries in the world right now that have already arrogated themselves, police authority, to forcefully vaccinate. It's happening, folks. It's, it's, it's around us. What's behind all of that? Any nation that is led by people who think that they someday will, in fact, be judged by God is not going to engage in that type of activity. But when you have entire nations being led by people who do not believe they are ever going to be judged by God, look out, look out, look out. So cosmic justice will be done. Cosmic justice will be done. We will mess it up royally when we try to do it in time apart from God's revealed will. Okay. Okay. Now, I said I was going to do this. I'm going to do it. I don't have much time left. But that's okay. Um, so what I have, like I said, uh, if you're looking into some of these things, a lot of the stuff is available online. Some of it isn't. It's of different varying qualities. But I think it's four or five. I think it's five volumes. I think it's five volumes. The Coptic Gnostic Library from Brill. I'm sure that was... We got that years ago, but I'm sure it was probably... Three, four hundred bucks, minimally. Um, then you have cheaper one. Here's a Harper One version of the Nag Hammadi Scriptures, edited by Marvin Meyer, uh, the international edition. Uh, and unfortunately, it will require my Captain Kirk glasses right before you mess with Khan. Um, <laughs> this wasn't cheap either, but at least it, it, this doesn't have all the Coptic in it. That, that one does. Um, these are translations let me just mention some of the things you've got in here you've got the prayer of the apostle Paul the secret book of James, the gospel of truth I think the gospel of truth is Valentinian as I recall Trias and the Resurrection, Tripartite Tractate the secret book of John That's secret book of John is probably what I'm learning anyways is probably the best um, summary of a straight up Gnostic myth uh, the straight up Gnostic cosmogony uh, that you're going to get that's what I'm going to be reading from uh, you've got the Gospel of Thomas, with the Greek Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Philip. That one was important. That one's important in regards to Mary Magdalene. That was central to the Talpiot tomb theory and things like that. Uh, the nature of the rulers, that's a nice translation of the hypostasis of the archons. Uh, I mean, that stuff sounds, but no, anyway. On the origin of the world, exegesis of the soul, the book of Thomas, the holy book, and the great invisible spirit. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so there is a bunch of this stuff. My recollection off the top of my head is in Nag Hammadi they found 52 books, but some of them were repeats. So I think it was 46 different uh, works um, that were found there, which were not all Valentinian, um, but some were. And so there you go. So I just want to give you a taste of what some of this stuff is like. The, the problem is, like with uh, Storytime with Uncle Jimmy before, when I read Prote Evangelium of James, when I read the Gospel of Thomas, there are so many of these concepts that are totally foreign to us that it sounds like babble. Um, so, for example, in the Gospel of Thomas, at the end of Gospel of Thomas, when uh, Jesus says about Mary that I will make her male, That strikes a lot of us as very, well, the term today is misogynistic. Anything that would be quote-unquote anti-woman in any way is immediately hatred of women. That's what misogynistic, that's two Greek words, miso and gune. Um, But actually it's not, because the background to the Gospel of Thomas is probably this Gnostic idea that we are, that our human aspect is feminine, and we have an angelic masculine aspect. And so if you make it past the authorities and into the final realm, the Pleroma, then you are rejoined to your angelic male aspect and therefore become male, become one. And that's for everybody, whether female or male. Here on earth, we are female. Like I said, the Gnostics would get along really well in San Francisco. They do get along really well in San Francisco. actually come to think of it. Anyway, so I'm jumping into um, the uh, secret book of John, which allegedly is a revelation that Jesus gives to John. And before this, there has been this description of the one. So, um, I asked if I might understand this, and it said to me, the one is a sovereign that has nothing over it. It is God and parent, father of all, the invisible one that is over the all, that is incorruptible, that is pure light, at which no eye can gaze. Now, what we do automatically is we translate this into our system, rather than letting it stay in the system, rather than letting it define its own terms. Don't do that. Uh, The one is the invisible spirit. We should not think of it as a God or like a God, for it is greater than a God, because it has nothing over it and no Lord above it. It does not exist within anything inferior to it, since everything exists within it, for it established itself. It is eternal, since it does not need anything, for it is absolutely complete. It has never lacked anything in order to be completed by it. Rather, it is always absolutely complete in light. The one is illimitable, since there is nothing before it to limit it. Unfathomable, since there is nothing before it to fathom it. Immeasurable, since there is nothing before it to measure it. Invisible, since nothing has seen it. Eternal, since it exists eternally. Unutterable, since nothing could comprehend it to utter it. Unnameable, since there is nothing before it to give it a name. The problem is, you can say all these things, but you still don't have any positive revelation as to what this it is. And then you get this. Now, lots of names are used of it, but it is, um, we would not know what is ineffable, we would not understand what is immeasurable, were it not for the one who came from the Father. This is the one who has told us these things to us alone. The Father is the one who beholds himself "...in the light surrounding him, which is the spring of living water and provides all the realms. He reflects on his image everywhere, sees it in the spring of the Spirit, and becomes enamored of his luminous water, for his image is in the spring of pure luminous water surrounding him. His thought became a reality... So, he contemplates, the Father contemplates itself in the luminous water. His thought became a reality, and she who appeared in his presence in shining light came forth. So, here is the first emanation. She is the first power who preceded everything and came forth from his mind as the forethought of all. Pronoia. Pronoia. One of the problems is, most of these Greek words have translatable meanings, but in a lot of the translations, they're just kept in their Greek form because they become a substantival word, a name. So some of of it will be forethought, some will just be pronoia, which means forethought. So... um, her light shines like the Father's light. She, the perfect power, is the image of the perfect and invisible virgin spirit. She, the first power, the glory of Barbelo, Barbelo the perfect glory among the eons, the glory of revelation. She glorified and praised the virgin spirit. For because the spirit, she had come forth. She is the first thought, the image of the spirit. She became the universal womb, for she precedes everything. The mother, father, the first human, the Holy Spirit, the triple male, the triple power, the androgynous one with three names, the eon among the invisible beings, the first to come forth. Barbalo asked the invisible virgin spirit to give her foreknowledge and the spirit consented when the spirit consented foreknowledge appeared and stood by forethought this is the one who came from the thought of the invisible virgin spirit foreknowledge glorified the spirit and the spirit's perfect power barbelo for because of her foreknowledge had come into being so you this is the initiation of the emanation of the eons and their relationships to one another. So, the Barbelo, the father gazed upon, into Barbelo with the pure light surrounding the invisible spirit and his radiance. Barbelo conceived from him. So, there's always a, an erotic, sexual overtone to what sounds like it wouldn't have any of that but it does and he produced a spark of light similar to the blessed light but not as great this was the only child of the mother father that came that had come forth the only offspring the only child of the father the pure light so there's all this relationship what i'm trying to get to is an important part here you have different sets and Different groups of Gnostics sort of came up with different ideas here, but different sets of eons that come for, that come out of all of this. Seth gets involved in here someplace, even though there isn't a creation yet for Seth to exist in, but that's because the Seth that is the child of Adam is a reflection of a primordial Seth. Anyway, but here's the important part. The last of the eons, the lowest of the eons, so the one that's still a divine creature, a divine, not creature, see, we're using Christian categories, it's still divine, it's still a part of the Pleroma, but it's the farthest removed from the one, the invisible spirit, is Sophia, wisdom. Okay? So, Now, Sophia, who is the wisdom of insight and who constitutes an eon, conceived of a thought from herself with the conception of the invisible spirit and foreknowledge. She wanted to bring forth something like herself without the consent of the spirit who had not given approval without her partner and without his consideration. So, the eons... To have balance are in male-female pairs, depending upon the gender of the name, the Greek name that's been assigned to them. Which is really weird, because sometimes Greek gender has nothing to do with gender at all. But, anyway. Sophia is feminine. So, she wants to do something separate from her partner. This produces instability in the pleroma. OK? The male did not give approval. She did not find her partner, and she considered this, and, and she considered this without the spirit's consent and without the knowledge of her partner. Nonetheless, she gave birth. And because of the invincible power within her, her thought was not an idle thought. Something came out of her that was imperfect and different in appearance from her, for she had produced it without her partner. It did not resemble its mother and was misshapen. I'm reading straight from the Secret Book of John. Probably the best summary of a pure form of Gnostic mythology, cosmogony that we have. When Sophia saw that her desire had produced... It changed into the figure of a snake with the face of a lion. Its eyes were like flashing bolts of lightning. She cast it away from her outside that realm, so it's cast outside the Pleroma, outside the fullness, so that none of the immortals would see it. She's embarrassed. She's produced a monster. She had produced it ignorantly. She surrounded it with a bright cloud and put a throne in the middle of the cloud so that no one would see it except the Holy Spirit, who is called the Mother of the Living. She named her offspring Yaldabaoth. Yaldabaoth. Yaldabaoth is the name. This is the first ruler, the archon who took great power from his mother, Then he left her and moved away from the place where he was born. So he's outside the Pleroma. He took control and created for himself other eons with luminous fire, which still exists. He mated with the mindlessness in him and produced authorities for himself. And now there's this big, long list of authorities that Yaldabaoth creates, the Archons. Yaldabaoth stationed seven kings, one for each sphere of heaven, to reign over the seven heavens, and five to reign over the depth of the abyss. So, what does he do? Yaldabaoth creates physical matter. Yaldabaoth is Yahweh. Okay? Y- Yaldabaoth is the God of Genesis. He is a misshapen, ignorantly conceived uh, offspring of one of the eons. That's who he is. Then check this out. When light mixed with darkness, it made the darkness shine. When darkness mixed with light, it dimmed the light, and it became neither light nor darkness, but rather gloom. This gloomy archon has three names. The first is Yaldabaoth. The second is Sakla. The third is Samael. He is wickedness in the mindlessness within him. He said, listen up here, folks. This is why I wanted to get to this. I know we're going a little bit over, but he said, I am God and there is no other God besides me. Straight quote out of Isaiah. Since he did not know from where his own strength had come. This is Gnostic cosmology. Now, you don't have the first... You do not have the human man yet. We'll get to that. Um, Because that's important to understand. Adam and Eve. And then Yaldabaoth wants to rape Eve to get the power that's in her. Be- because they were supposed to eat the tree, and it gets really, really complicated. But we'll we'll keep we'll keep working on that from the secret gospel of John. And so, some of you are sitting there going, "What did you just do? We just went from the divine to the demonic in one program. In in essence, yes. In essence, yes. Um." The early church identified this stuff as its greatest external enemy. If you go to almost any university or college today, that will be called Christian Gnosticism. Christian Gnosticism. As long as there is a Christ figure somewhere in it, they'll call it Christian. It is the exact repudiation of Christianity, but in scholarship today, it's called Christian. It's not by any stretch of the imagination, but there you go. And so, these Gnostic myths are actually very popular amongst many people in Hollywood. There are a lot of uh, singers that will quote from this stuff from the Nag Hammadi library because it's cool, it's cutting edge, etc., etc. And it is a fundamental denial of the reality that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Gnostics told the Christians, the God that you are worshiping is Yaldabaoth. Salvation will come to you only when you recognize your true nature And stop worshiping Yaldabaoth. And in fact, every time that God in the Old Testament does something major like the flood, it's because mankind was learning what its true nature was. And so he wiped them out. Not because of their sin. This is a mirror image negation of the Christian message. And it was the greatest enemy of the church for hundreds of years. And we're letting it back in through the back door. Oh, not with necessarily, I've not I've not heard anybody talking about Yaldaba Oath. But the idea of the Gnostic cosmology, the evilness of the physical realm, that type of thing is all over the place. It really is. And one last thing, this is fascinating. I don't know if you remember this rich, but about twenty years ago, I was involved in a controversy um here locally with a man who was Presbyterian um, who began teaching not'm not going to get into the names here know, I'm just that you were in a oh that's true i know i i i it's 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 an unusual thing He began teaching. That the basis of all sin is ignorance. That, That someday the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Yahweh. And that's what's going to get rid of sin is because sin is all based upon ignorance. That no one sins willfully. So, I was involved in a meeting with this guy and some, some other elders, and we went through Romans 1 and stuff like that. I, now, in doing much more of this kind of reading and learning about the various aspects, I mean, I obviously had, I, I laid out in the Forgotten Trinity when I dealt with Colossians chapter 1, the eons and the Play Roma and stuff like that, but the spins that they put on it and how complex it was and how deeply it went. Um, Now that I've learned about this stuff, I know where he got that stuff. I know where he got that stuff. He is a Christian Gnostic. He's still around. He's a Christian Gnostic. A Presbyterian Christian Gnostic. (laughs) Literally. Because salvation Gnosticism. Now we all know it involves receiving knowledge, but in this case, especially in Valentinian Gnosticism, the most Christianized version, where what Valentinus does is he gets rid of he does gets rid of Yaldabaoth, he gets rid of, Oath. He gets rid of the, a lot of the terminology and uses biblical terminology instead. Um, he does have a God above the God of the Old Testament, but the God of the Old Testament isn't an ignorant, arrogant fool. He's just sort of bumbling. He's not against mankind. He just bumbles around because he's not the highest God. Um, but yeah, what, what that guy was... What was being presented in a Westminster Confession church was that we do not willfully sin. It's a lack of knowledge. And it's like... Then I... Then I remembered his background and went, oh, I see where that came from. It's still out there, folks. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. Well, hey, that was a wide variety of stuff. Um, Huh? All before lunch. lunch. Yes. (laughs) All before lunch. Uh, It does seem like it's later in the day, doesn't it? Because we're sort of gotten used to that. But uh, so no program tomorrow. Please try to... Not complain about that, or if you just have to, call and talk to Rich about um, But Lord willing, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll see you then. God bless.